the Bible Study Podcast, episode 814. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of 2 Peter with chapter 2. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. We continue on with chapter two. There's rather a long chapter compared to what we did last week, false teachers and their destruction. Because this is so long, I'm going to break with my usual tradition of reading the entire thing and then going back. And I'm going to do it one paragraph at a time, just because it's going to be a little easier. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. This is not good news, but it is something that has been true since the time of Peter here in the first century churches, that there will be some who speak as if they are part of the body and they are wolves in sheep's clothing is the term that Jesus used. They will be false teachers. And false teachers is an interesting expression because we get the impression that it would be like a, a cult or something like that. There's somebody who is is wrong in all so many things. And yet that's not necessarily what Peter is talking about here. It's destructive heresy. So he's things that are wrong, but they don't have to be completely wrong, they, but they're destructive. And so I think of usually what happens is it's somebody who is combining something from their culture, for instance, it'd be really easy for us to try not to point fingers at, at people that I don't really know uh, or really don't know the teachings of, but the things to watch out for are things that agree with the culture of the day. That's one common source of error that comes in teaching. And I don't mean one side or the other of the political divide. I mean, on either side, that you can be you know, so focused on your understanding of things that you don't let your faith inform your beliefs, you do it the other way around. And so that's a real easy way for for heresies to, to slip in. It's not unique to Peter's time. It's not unique to our time. But he also says, and then one of the obvious reasons is greed. Um, and we've seen that. We've seen that in the fall of, you know, some of the televangelists who who get all involved in you should give money to God's church, but they live in a mansion. And that is not true of all televangelists. That's not true of all evangelists by any means, but it has been true of some. And it's very easy to fall into. You can see why it would be. You are given a fair amount of power because of your ability to persuade people. And it's easy for that to be corrupting. And then it continues on. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, 
for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Okay, that's rather a lot to unpack there. Longest sentence in this particular uh, section of scripture here. So he's talking about judgment. He's talking about we have seen as we look through the scriptures, as we look through the Old Testament especially, we have seen God's judgment, God's judgment on those who are doing the wrong things. We've seen it in the flood. We've seen it in Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, we've seen that God knows and will eventually deal with and you know that his awesome power is not something you want to be on the wrong side of when he is dealing with these things. So he says, if we know that, then we also know, like we know that Lot was rescued from Sodom and Gomorrah, that he can rescue the godly from their trials. Okay. And that is useful. Remember, First Peter was talking quite a lot about the trials that the church was going through, why they're going through them and such. And so this trials comes up again. It shouldn't be surprising. Peter knows he's going to die, doesn't necessarily know it's going to be at the hands of Caesar, but it's, it is going to be, and it wouldn't be probably that much of a surprise by this point in his ministry to know that. And he says, we know that God can rescue us from the trials, and we know that the day of judgment is coming. We know that God will sort everything out and make everything work the way it's supposed to work, that the good get rewarded and the bad get punished. He's not saying it's going to happen today. He's not saying it's going to happen next week, but we know that it's heading in that direction, that that is the direction where the world is, and that's the end of the story. He's looked ahead in the book to see how this story ends, and it's not a mystery anymore. He says, especially this is true of those who, uh, who follow the corrupted desires of the flesh and despise authority. And that's an interesting combination of as a programmer, I don't know if that's an L statement or an AND statement. I don't think it's people who are follow corrupt desires of flesh and of spies authority, and you have to do both or you're okay. But I think it's two different things that he is seeing. And it's interesting when he talks about despise authority, remember he lives in a world where the authority is literally going to be killing Christians here. And yet both he and Paul in their letters talk about obedience to authority. And that is something we should take seriously as people who were under an authority that was literally killing people in the church, right? It's very easy for us to say, well, not that authority. You know, well, I don't have to listen to that authority because I don't agree with them. I don't have to listen to that authority, whatever. He's saying despising authority isn't a good thing, period. And the corrupt desires of the flesh, you know, we, that we live by our our lusts, our desires, our, our gluttony, our, um, those things that make us feel good. Rather than doing the right thing, we do the thing that makes us feel good. You know, we all fall into that sometimes. It's it's whether it be that second piece of cake or that adulterous relationship that you got into because you were looking across the room at the party and, and you know weren't watching what you were doing. It's he's saying that that is not a path you want to be on when this path leads to the day of judgment. Bold and arrogant. They are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. 
But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. The second time we brought up angels here, we're talking about that God punished the angels who fell, Satan and those who followed him. And the celestial beings, I would have to say, is one of the more obscure sections of this letter. I don't know what he is talking about. I don't know if you have ever heaped abuse on celestial beings. I'm guessing that you probably are saying no to yourself as you're listening to that. So I don't know exactly what that situation is, and it may not be something we run into today. But he's talking about people who are blaspheming in matters they don't understand. And that we see, that we run into for sure. And to blaspheme, I don't just mean using the Lord's name in vain and cursing and all those things that we think of. Remember, that's not the biggest part of blaspheming. But the, big, the most important part is to not, not ascribe to God who God is. Uh, to say that God can't do that. To say that God isn't that. To say that God is dead. All of those things would be more along the lines, I think, what he's talking about than just cursing, which is what we tend to, I think, in a rather weak way, think blaspheming means. That's that's not really the whole idea of that phrase. But like creatures born to be caught and destroyed, like animals, they too will perish. Wow, that is not that is not good. That is not a list you want to be on there. Creatures of instinct unreasoning animals so he clearly wants us to be reasoning and not just creatures of instinct but creatures of thought and forethought and intention they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight they are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you with eyes full of adultery they never stop sinning they seduce the unstable they are experts in greed and a cursed brood they have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bazer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Now, if you wonder what he's talking about, you haven't read the book of Exodus recently, that last part there with Balaam. We'll get to that in a second. But he's saying... These people he's talking about, whoever they may be, are lovers of pleasure, and they really just don't have any boundaries. They're carousing in full daylight. They're not ashamed of what they're doing. They're reveling in pleasures while they feast with you. Their eyes are full of adultery. They, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. So not only are they doing wrong things, they're drawing people into them. Not who he is asking the church to be. And then he's saying they're wandering off in the way of, and then he brings up Balaam. And if you don't remember the story of Balaam, Balaam was someone who was hired to curse the people of Israel as they were heading towards the promised land. They're coming to the promised land. They've been in the wilderness for many years at this point. They get getting close to the end of the 40 years. They're getting somewhat formidable. They fought some battles. And so one of their enemies hires this prophet to come and curse them. And he says, I can't do that. I can only say what God wants me to say. But they give him enough money that even though he knows he can only say what God wants him to say, he goes. And while he's on the way, his donkey stops moving. And he is hitting the donkey and he is really mad at the donkey 
because the donkey is being stubborn and he does not know that the donkey sees that the angel of death, the angel of the Lord is standing with a flaming sword on the path ahead of him and going to kill him if he goes there. And finally, at one point, the donkey turns to him and and talks with him. This is a an unusual story, to say the least. And Balaam didn't have the wisdom that his donkey had. He didn't have the eyes to see that his donkey had, is, is what he is saying here. An animal without speech who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. And so he's saying, Balaam loved the wages of wickedness. He should have just said, I can't do that. I can't go and curse the people that God has blessed. They, he should have stayed at his house. He shouldn't have been on that road. He shouldn't have been with the donkey trying to pass an angel with a flaming sword. He just shouldn't have been doing it. But he was attracted to the money. And money is corrupting. Money is corrupting in churches. Money is corrupting in politics, for sure. Money is corrupting in our work lives, in our in our homes. Money is something that can change our focus, as it did for Balaam. These people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to their lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it, and are overcome. They are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit. A sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud." So, Peter, not so fan. Remember, he's talking about false teachers. He's talking about people in the church. That's the thing I want to remember, remind you of here because we've talked about people here. And I know you and I know me. We start picturing people outside the church. We start picking, picturing those people. Those are the people he's talking about. He's not. He's talking about false teachers who are leading people astray. False teachers who are bringing something into the church that is corrupting. And that's one of the reasons that he is so mad about it. That's one of the reasons he's using these black as darkness is reserved for them kind of words. He said it would be better for them not to, to have ever known Christ than to have come to know Christ and then rejected it. And then gone back to where they were before. And so he's talking about people who knew Jesus and then were corrupted again by this world. So be careful <laughs> when you hear verses like this, we should be careful not to be thinking that we're talking about other people's problems, that we're not talking about something that's happening outside the church, but he's wanting the people inside the church to be careful 
what we're hearing, to be careful what we're teaching, and not to be like a dog returning to its vomit, not to be drawn back into the ways of this world. And with that, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com or better yet, leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And thanks so much for listening. Do you ever hear sayings make their way through the culture and the church that seem nice in theory, but are actually theologically problematic? My name is Shara Donahue, and I'm the host of The Bible Never Said That, a podcast where we examine these popular sayings under the lens of biblical truth. We cover sayings like, God won't give you more than you can handle, time heals all wounds, and follow your heart. We also spend time exploring how people use Bible verses out of context. If you want to grow in discernment and truth, join us and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.